Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. We invite you to remain standing for the reading of Scripture this morning. It comes to us from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 17, starting in verse 22 through 34. be found in the Pew Bible on page 137 in the New Testament. Let us attend to the wisdom of the Word of God. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, He who is the Lord of heaven and of earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor He made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and He allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of their places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for Him and find Him, though indeed He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we too are His offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because He has fixed a day on which He will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, But others said, we will hear you again about this. And at that point, Paul left them. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you are able, please stand for the second lesson. It comes to us from Paul's letter, second letter to the church in Corinth. Listen to God's Word. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. 
For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with the Scripture, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into His presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so that grace as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. How many of you have had a chance to uh, look at the front of the bulletin? Did you read the quote from Kathleen Norris? It sure caught my attention. Kathleen Norris, in her book on Amazing Grace, she says about preaching, about sermons, I counted a good sermon if people remember the Scripture they heard read aloud more than any particular thing I said about it. If I would want you to remember anything from the Scripture that you heard read this morning, it would be this. God's glory is revealed in the face of of Jesus Christ. God's glory is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. God's glory is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Can you remember that today? Can you remember that this week as you go out to continue the preaching event and to preach and to teach in your own lives? Can you do that? Then will the ushers come forward? We'll have a closing prayer. That's it. The glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. This past week, my wife and I had an opportunity to go for Parents' Day. Oh, the glorious and the dreaded Parents' Day. Where you go around to the different classrooms and you meet the teachers that, will, that are already teaching your child and you learn about their policies and their programs and their expectations and sometimes you learn about your child in ways that you maybe would rather not in one of those classes that we uh, attended as parents sitting in the the seats at those desks I looked on the the bulletin board upon the 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 wall at the front of the class and something caught my attention and there was written, as a reminder to the students and to the teacher as well, it said, I talk, you listen. And then it said, retention rate, 5%. I thought to myself, you know, that may have something to say to us in the church, particularly those of us who preach and teach. And it seems like you come to church so we can talk and you listen. I talk. You be quiet, you listen. Got it? Okay. You're going to get about 5%, and then you'll come back next week, and you'll get another 5%. And I thought, well, gosh, if people are only getting 5% of a sermon, 
Then Reverend Sauter, Downton, and Hasty need to preach longer sermons so your cumulative 5% will be greater week after week. Don't you think that's a great idea? Okay, maybe not. Then it said this. It said, I do, you watch. Retention rate, 30%. Let me put it into practice and to give example and, and demonstrate what I'm talking about and you'll retain 30% of that. Then it said, you do it, and you learn, and your retention rate is 75%. Oh, what we might be able to learn in the church, in teaching, in practicing, in living the faith. And then finally, it said on the board, Teach it back to me or to someone else. Retention rate, 90%. The preaching event has only just begun. This morning, there's a lot of talking going on in our text. In this chapter in the book of Acts that we are uh, studying this week in the life of our church and in this sermon series, if you were to read the entirety of this chapter, you will see that as Paul continues the second missionary journey, he is still doing a lot of talking, a lot of teaching, a lot of exhorting and proclaiming, a lot of talking going on. In the first part of this chapter, Paul continues his, his, um, his system of bringing the gospel by going first to the synagogues. And in the first part of the chapter, he goes to Thessalonica, and we learn that for, he is there for three weeks in the synagogue explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He did this for three weeks. And we read that some of the Jews were persuaded and some joined. Many devout Greeks joined, and not a few of the leading women. But really what happened in Thessalonica is that the Jews were essentially jealous of these men who turned the world upside down as they proclaimed a new king whose name was Jesus. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy, they leave Thessalonica, they go to Berea, and in Berea they receive a more uh, hospitable welcome. There they are more eager to hear what it is that Paul is talking about, what Paul is sharing and teaching, that Jesus has come to save the lost. But as those in Thessalonica hear what is happening in Berea, that things are being stirred up and people are receiving this news, they come and they cause problems for Paul, for Silas, and Timothy. And they decide it best that Paul leave Berea, and he goes to Athens. He goes to Athens, the big university town just in the northeast part of the state of Georgia. No, that's a different Athens. But it's there in Athens, Greece, that Paul, as he spends time waiting for, for Silas and Timothy to join him, he looks around that city and he is absolutely disgusted because it's full of idols. They have erected statues and temples and places of worship for people like Herschel and Vince. Oh, wait a minute, that's the wrong city again. 
But there in Athens, Paul encounters the idols, the graven images, and he has cut his teeth on the law that was given to Moses that was handed down to us. You shall have no other gods. You shall not make for yourselves any graven images or idols. And Paul, we are told in Athens, argues in the synagogues and in the marketplace every day with those who chanced to be in either location. Paul is arguing and proclaiming. And I get the picture of the Apostle Paul as some type of crazed street preacher. He's just, he's just spouting it to anybody who will listen. And as they listen to Paul in this university town, in this town of high thought and intellect, they call him a babbler, a teacher of foreign divinities, because he preached Jesus and the resurrection. As the people hear Paul in the synagogue in the marketplace, they say, hey, this guy's pretty good. He's passionate. Why don't we invite him to the Areopagus? Why don't we invite him to do a TED Talk at the place where people gather to hear new ideas? And the Areopagus is that place where Athenians spent their days doing what intellectuals enjoy, relieving their, burden, their burdensome lives by searching for new ideas. Novelty attracts their attention Will Williman says, more than the truth. And how familiar we are with the distraction of living in a world of thoughts and theories and ideas and ideologies, living in our heads, so to speak. How familiar we are with that mode of existence and distraction. How many of us are looking for anything new to keep our minds occupied on something other than what we might ordinarily or need to be occupied with. How many of us keep our minds occupied and our hands idle and thereby our hearts disengaged? Because that's what happens when we live in our heads. Our hands are idle and our hearts are disengaged. Well, Paul does go to the Areopagus. And there, like unto a Christian Socrates in a well-structured piece of classical rhetoric, he delivers his presentation and he flatters his audience that are idolaters, yes, but they are searching. Their impulse is to worship, and that is right but the object of their worship is wrong. So Paul points out that as he is toward their city, he noticed among the many idols and objects of worship that there was one that had been erected to an unknown God. And Paul says that, that thing that you worship, that God that you worship is unknown. I will make known to you. Paul goes on to say that this unknown God is the God who made everything in the world. This God is the Creator. And yes, there is a general knowledge of God that can be gained by experiencing the creation. 
Because revealed through creation is a natural beauty and order of things that every one of us from the least educated pagan to the most degreed and learned scholar can identify that there is a God, there is a Creator, a superior being who is powerful and wise and sovereign and has a consistency of His character. And we can see the Creator revealed, yes, in a sunrise or a beautiful sunset. We can know that there is something greater than ourselves as we study the intricacy and the uniqueness of a snowflake. On a moonless night, we can gaze into a star-filled sky and understand what the psalmist says when he proclaims the heavens are telling the glory of God. We can look at the great creatures of the sea, the Leviathan. We can follow the jackal or the way of the wolf or listen to the bird song or appreciate the beauty and the aroma of flowers. All of these speak of a Creator, a God. And Paul appeals to their searching and to their knowledge that they gain through creation, the God who has made ev the world and everything in it. But Paul goes on to say this God cannot be contained in shrines or in temples made with hands. The creature cannot contain the Creator, Paul says. And he goes on to affirm their desire to know God. As God has set His creatures in an exact time and an exact place so that in the living of our days we might seek after and grope for and yes, even find God. And Paul goes on to say that this God wants to be known by us. God does not play a cruel game of divine hide and seek with His creatures created in His image. Paul says, as a matter of fact, this unknown God is not very far from each one of us. Rest on that for a moment or two. God is not far from each one of us. Yes, our life is from God and God gives us breath. And Paul says, indeed our life is in God. For in Him we live and move and have our being. Paul goes on to say that we are the offspring of God as even one of your own poets has said. And Paul asserts that if God is the Creator and we are God's offspring, it is foolish to think that we can represent God in finite things made of stone or gold or silver shaped by our own imaginations. It's folly. Reminds you of the quote from Voltaire who said that man was created in God's image and then man returned the favor. How often we seek to create God in our 
own image. Paul goes on to say that God is calling an end to such ignorance. And God is calling at this appointed time all people everywhere to do something. And that thing is to repent. The Greek word is metanoia, which means to change one's mind, to change one's thinking, to change one's direction, to change one's life. God is calling His creation to change and turn and turn back to Him. And this God has made Himself known by appointing a judge of the world who will judge the righteousness of the creation. And this one is known as God's chosen one, Paul says. And we have assurance in Him because God has raised this judge of the living and the dead from the dead. And Paul had them going along with him as he unfolded his thought until he gets to the mention of the resurrection. And the resurrection is a fact that completely befuddles the mind of the Greek. It is contrary to the way that they and we know the world works. The natural order of things, of course, is that there is birth, and then there is decline, then there is death, which is followed by decay. We all know that death is death, and what is done is done, and what is finished is finished, kaput, end, over, fini. Yet Paul calls the resurrection of Jesus our assurance. And here comes the point of departure. Some say there is a God, and many agree to our common humanity in a created order, but natural theology cannot explain the resurrection. Observation and reason cannot do it for us. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ demands that we go beyond what we can see and what we can know and understand with our finite minds. There is something more that we are called to be and do, and it, it is called faith. And faith, we are told, is that assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen or explained. For faith is a mystery. Faith requires stepping where we are not sure if there will be ground beneath our tread and whether it will hold. Our knowledge of God, our faith in Jesus Christ, comes not through natural theology, but by a special revelation. Our saving faith comes as a gift from God. It is something that has to be given to us. And the sovereign God chooses to reveal to us His character, His faithfulness, His love, and His grace, and yes, His glory through His Son, Jesus, in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, the Scriptures tell us. What Paul is saying is God wants to be known by us even as we are fully known. 
And if we want to know God, we look at Jesus Christ. We look at His birth, at His life, at His death, at His resurrection, what He says and what He does. God is saying, I am not an unknown God, but I have revealed Myself to you in My Son. In His self-giving love, God says. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead in Jesus Christ, some mocked Paul. They dismissed him as ignorant. And some others said, well, this sounds interesting. Why don't you come back next week and we'll do another 60 minutes on this? But some did believe. Some received the gift of faith. But the Scriptures tell us that Paul felt it was time to leave Athens. And it's interesting to note that there was not a church established in that place by Paul. A question for us today, as we consider this piece of Paul's ministry and his presentation to the Athenians, to ask ourselves this question, how do we respond when we hear about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Do we say it's impossible, it's a fantasy, it's ignorant, it's uninformed? Do we come at it as a, as a sense of an intellectual that it sounds good, but we've not quite figured it out in our minds yet? Are we a skeptic that says it sounds too good to be true? Or do we receive it as the Father who came to Jesus asking for healing for His Son by saying, Lord, I believe but help my unbelief. Or maybe some of us have even come to respond to the resurrection like Job saying, I know my Redeemer lives. Or even as Paul, who wrote to the church in Corinth, saying, God has shown light in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Kathleen Norris's quote is there on the front of the bulletin. I counted a good sermon if people remembered the Scripture they heard and read aloud more than any particular thing I said about it. What I would want you to remember from this sermon today is from the, the passage from 2 Corinthians. God's glory is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. What a powerful truth. And if we are to know the glory of God in His risen Son, Jesus Christ, we not only must learn this verse, but we must spend time in His Word. If you want to know someone, you have to spend time with them. And if we want to know the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we spend time with Jesus studying His life, studying His Word in conversation and worship and, yes, prayer. It involves active engagement. Because if we only come to church for a certain amount of time and listen, we're only going to retain how much? 5%. Yet if we watch someone else live the faith, we might retain 30 or if we even get engaged in 
the life of faith. It might be 75, but oh, to learn it well enough to try to teach it and to share it with another. How beautiful and glorious to live the faith, to share the faith, and to find that all of the promises of God are true and that our assurance is indeed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and that in Him, in His death and resurrection, we find forgiveness of sin. We find the promise of the life everlasting. And in Him, we see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. And thereby, we live a life with nothing to fear, knowing that we are never alone and that anything and everything is possible. We live as resurrection people. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.